and uh, out getting the gospel out. It's been a good month from VBS to uh, Spark in the Park to the time we've been able to spend at the Kauffman Stadium last night just ministering the gospel. And it's interesting because I don't think any of those souls there were a result of any of that activity, although we did see some souls saved um, at last night at, Spark in, or at, the, at, the, at the K. But the point is, is that, you know what, we just need to be busy about sharing the gospel, being intentional about our gospel outreach, and God provides the fruit. And uh, that's pretty awesome. I'm excited about all that God is doing there. If you have your Bibles, please be turning the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Again, if you're joining us, maybe you're just online for the first time with us. We're glad that you're with us today. And uh, we are glad that uh, you are uh, able to be a sermon series. It's called The Seven Realities of HBF, or Heartland Baptist Fellowship. And uh, these realities are, are seven really core principles about our what I call our DNA that we've been covering. Um, the first time I preached it was in 2006. And uh, we've been working through these seven realities. And we've been, we're on the fifth one right now. Uh, and today is uh, we're dealing with real ministers being drawn to real battles. And we've already seen that, uh, you know, those that are drawn to real battles care for casualties. And we looked at Second Peter 3, 9. We saw that God has a heart for the world. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He, God cares about, uh, we're to care, I'm sorry, about uh, what God cares about. Real ministers care about the things of God. That means that we care about people. And also we care about culture. And that includes God's testimony in the culture, and we use the story of David and Goliath to talk about how David uh, was moved because of uh, the fact that God's name and his testimony were being embellished uh, by uh, Goliath, and of course, God used him to deliver them. So it's a familiar story, but in the context of caring for casualties, that not only are people casualties of sin, uh, but, but God's testimony is a casualty, and we're here to represent him well, and that's why Real, uh, real ministers, real people under authority to serve. It doesn't just mean pastors. It means anybody that's born again. You're called to serve. Romans 1 is very clear that we're servants of God. We're the called according to Jesus Christ, and God has called us all to engage in his mission. And so here at HBF, we, are, we highlight the mission of God. We're here to equip the saints of God in the word of God to accomplish the mission of God uh, in, the, in the power of God for the glory of God by the grace of God. And when you wonder, what is the mission? Well, it's to go you there for and teach all nations. I just saw a statistic recently that many churches, I don't remember the number now, but in America, increasingly, the, the people who actually understand what God's mission is, is decreasing rapidly. So a lot of people that are church attenders still don't know what it is they're there, to, they're, they're there for. They're coming for their own needs, but they don't know what God needs, right? And so it's good to come to church to get what you need, but ultimately, God wants us here to fulfill what he needs. Do you know God has some needs? Now, God obviously doesn't need anything. Uh, he doesn't need anything, but he still wants us, right? He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He has something for us to do. He, has, he saved us uh, not by works, right? It's by salvation, by grace through faith. These that got baptized, they, they've already been saved, uh, but he saved us under good works, right? So after we get saved, we work, and that is also found in Ephesians chapter 2. So we're in this book of Ephesians chapter Six and, and as we grow, we mature. We start out with just simple obedience as children. We become servants, and we become masters. We end up mastering the things that God calls us to do. And then we're ready for being soldiers, right? There's a real battle to fight. And that's what we've been talking about is real ministers are drawn to real battles. So if you have your Bibles, look in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 10 through 18 once again, and then we're going to look at this topic once more. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. The Bible says here, uh, let's stand together in honor of God's word, by the way. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. 
Uh, let's honor his word as we read it. We'll give you a second to let everything fall off your lap. You got all situated, and now I'm sorry to make you uncomfortable. So, okay, now uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 10, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, having all, uh, uh, above all, I'm sorry, take, uh, take the shield of faith, wherewith ye are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Heavenly Father, uh, we are coming to your throne right now. We're praying, just as you commanded. Lord, we, we are praying for um, the word to go forth. We're praying for, uh, Lord, us to persevere in prayer for all saints. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would be ready for the spiritual battles that you have for us, that we would be um, in the business of, of uh, seeking and saving uh, and Lord, you're the one who seeks and saves those that are lost, but in the business of doing your will in regard to taking the gospel and proclaiming as messengers what you've called us to both hear, see, and do. Uh, Lord, I pray God would be faithful with the things that we learned today. Lord, thank you for the victories we've seen, these that have just come to faith in Christ and, and showed that with believers' baptisms and, uh, and identifying with uh, yourself and, and Lord, the church identifying with them. Lord, as now they are uh, born again, Lord, we're thankful for that reality uh, that they have, uh, they they have now in their heart that they're saved and and the, how they've obeyed you and followed you in believers' baptism. Lord, thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for giving us fruit. And I pray for the the time that we have this morning in your Word that you bless it and and you would be glorified in all that we do. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so, in this fifth reality, as we con- continue to consider this point of. Real ministers are being drawn to real battles. The next thing that we need to see past caring for casualties, uh, which is the first thing and, and the priority that moves us to, to engage in God's mission, is also uh, to prepare for adversity. Prepare for adversity. Uh, that's what a good soldier does. Remember, Timothy was told by uh, uh, Paul, his disciple, Thou therefore endear hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him with who has chosen him to be a soldier. He also went on to say, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Right? So the word of God and the souls of men, it's serious business. You know, the born-again believer is born into adversity. And you may not realize it at first, but you've been born into a battle. And, and you, you may say, Well, I don't want to participate in the battle. But that doesn't mean you're still not part of it. And you still don't have a target. Right? You are still... Unfortunately for you, whether you want to be engaged or not, you are in a conflict between God and the devil. And the more sensual a culture becomes and the more sensual the church becomes, the harder it is for us to believe that there's anything to prepare for, uh, let alone engage in. And so the church kind of can go to sleep. You saw that same thing in the nation of Israel. Once they conquered the, the, the land, all of a sudden they went to sleep, right? And apathy turned into apostasy. And before the book of Judges is over, there's complete anarchy. And things are going on in the name of God that would have never been acceptable when they entered. And so it becomes about us, ultimately. 
and our comfort, our plans, our portfolio, our survival, uh, when we're missing the point completely about what God would have us to be, uh, see, and do. So the clear message of Scripture is to mature, uh, and to be a mature believer means that we endure hardness, that there will be difficulties that we face and that we get through victoriously, and that we expect persecution. So if you were here last night, or last Wednesday night, you, you were able to hear you know, Pastor Rajan took us to school on, on that and, and said it doesn't matter, right, where you are, if you're in Nepal or you're in America, just expect it because, well, that's what Paul said. That's what the Bible tells us. And very matter-of-factly, and of course, coming from someone who's endured hardness, uh, a lot of hardness, um, it was very sobering words. If we are to advance the kingdom of God, there will be opposition. So we shouldn't be surprised, Right? Uh, and I, that's the, my point of bringing this up. Now, this isn't new. I was saying this, you know, uh, over 15 years ago. But the point is this. Uh, the, this Paul was saying this 2,000 years ago. The point is, is that people really don't expect to face hardness. They really don't, as in Christianity today, in modern Christianity, in American Christianity, uh, oftentimes what's considered hard is, are not the real issues of hardness. Um, they're not the real difficulties of advancing the mission of God and facing uh, spiritual opposition. Oftentimes, we're bogged down by our own carnality, right? And that's why we have to be disciples. We have to grow and we have to learn how to trust God with our own carcass, right? And how to be able to, to walk in the Spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That in itself is difficult, and that brings its own challenges. So I don't want to minimize that. Your worst enemy is you. My worst enemy is me. And that battle... That'll continue until we get out of these carcasses. So that's a battle that we got to learn how to win by walking in the Spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But that's not the opposition that comes from without, right? Then there's the, the issue of advancing the mission of God and having difficulties and, and, and not being uh, able to press forward as easily as we'd like. Paul faced that, but every time God used what the devil meant for evil for good. And so we can go into those things understanding that God's always going to overturn that because we're doing His will. So if we're advancing the kingdom of God, there will be opposition, and we should not be surprised, but prepared. So let me give you a passage here. In, uh, as in 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 12, the Bible says this. Peter says, Beloved, so he's talking to the church, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So he says, hey, look, don't be shocked when, when things get hard. As a matter of fact, look forward to it because you get to experience the sufferings of Christ. Paul said, he, Paul said like this, I get to fulfill or fill up, he said, to be more precise, fill up the sufferings of Christ. So there's some things that Jesus left for us, right? He did all the work necessary for our salvation on the cross, but there's still some suffering that we get to endure so we can identify with Him. Now, all of us go through some suffering, right? There's not a person under the sound of my voice that doesn't suffer from this or that or what have you. But when you think about your life and your ministry to Christ, how much have you actually suffered in, in, in regard to identifying with Christ? Because, you, because you've identified with Christ, you're suffering for Him. Now, uh, and I'm not putting anybody on a guilt trip. Praise God if it's been easy for you, and that's good. But you know what? There's a lot of believers. It's just not so easy. I mean, uh, I, we have, I won't say his name because I don't want to belie anybody's uh, security. But we had a brother in here that was ministering in the Middle East. And uh, as he was preparing um, some men that had gotten saved for 
baptism, he just noticed a certain sobriety about their, their preparation. And, and the reason why is because every one of those men, when they got baptized, they recognized that as soon as they came out as Christians in a Muslim culture, they were going to get executed. I mean, it's what the, their expectation was to be killed. It was not to live forever uh, in a physical body, but to, to die and spend the eternity with, with heaven. So when they made the decision to trust Christ, it was a big deal. In some cultures, this, this principle is very, you know, in your face. You don't even make a decision for Christ without confronting the reality that Jesus is worth more than your life. Now, it's a lot different here in the United States. We, it's kind of a, you know, we even question sometimes when people even get saved because they're just so casual about receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? You're like, well, did they really get saved or not? We're even wondering because there just seems to be no change of life. And that's what repentance is, a change of heart and mind that produces a change of life. And so, and so uh, when we talk about this subject in our culture, we kind of got to grow up a little bit, right? We got to kind of grow up. And that's my first point. To really get a hold of this issue of being a real minister is prepared for real battles. And, and, of course, in our culture, we can talk all day about love and caring for casualties. But what, what about when it comes to, to putting up with difficulties for Jesus' sake, right? Not because we're knuckleheads, not because we're, we're carnal, not because of our own sin, but because, well... We're doing the right thing, and it still goes bad, right? And it's still hard, and it's still difficult, and it's still not received well. Well, point A, well, you've got to put away childish things. That's the only way to handle that. You have to put away childish things. Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians thirteen eleven, um, he says, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And before we rush off onto the next subpoint, I want you to just meditate on that just for a moment. So Paul says, when I'm a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child, and, I, and, and I, you know, that's the way he dealt with things. He was dealing with what? The way he thought and the way he understood life. And it's, it's simple, which is great. It's innocent. We celebrate childhood. We should. It's wonderful. But we don't ask children to go to war. We shouldn't ask children to go to war. We should nurture them. We should protect them. We should keep them. We should put them in an environment where they can grow in a healthy way. It's perverse to put children in that situation. It's the most heartbreaking thing about war in general uh, is, is how it affects children and innocence and, and uh, dare I say, women and children, right? I, women and children don't need to be engaged in war. I'm sorry that makes me sound like a misogynist, but I'd prefer that my wife and kids not get embroiled in a war. And, uh, and so, um, and so what, would, what would we ask? We would ask that mature people, men, uh, get into battle, into conflict, in the physical sense. Well, spiritually, that's what Paul's saying. Hey, listen, uh, I need some people to grow up. I need some people to mature up because now we're dealing with battles, real battles that need to be fought. Babies are not ready for battle. They're not ready for battle. Babies are not ready for battle. Ephesians 6.10 in our text, we were talking about that. He, he says, finally, right, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. What's he saying there? Finally. Well, after we go through being an obedient child, after we be, become a, a servant that understands how to, to serve, as we become a father who knows not to be overbearing, right, and, and we understand how to be a master, that we serve the Lord ultimately, so we're never totally in charge because God's in charge of us and we treat others the way we want to be treated. After we learn all those lessons from our formative time, then put on the whole armor of God. Finally, be ready for battle. Finally, you know, grow up and get your gear on because you're not going to be a good soldier if you're not a good child, if you're not a good servant, if you're not a good father, if you're not a good master. Those things aren't going to work for you very well. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, 
indicating that those who, are, who understand the previous content are ready for battle. So point two, caring doesn't equate to equipping. Now that's important again in our culture. Caring doesn't equate to equipping. Just because you have a heart for God doesn't mean you're equipped. Just because I want to do something doesn't mean I'm able to do it. There's a lot of things I want to do. A lot of things in my mind I still think I can do, but I can't do them anymore, right? You've got to be in a certain condition to do certain things. And so we may care about the things that God cares about, but does that, that does not mean we're equipped to do anything about it. However, in an age of apathy, caring is a great first step. So I don't want to minimize caring. I spent the whole, all of last week talking about one man who had a heart for God, who cared enough to step up for God, right? That's important. Caring is a big attribute. But you also got to be equipped. And so I can watch a war movie, and I can even want to go off and fight for my country, but the reality is uh, when I go out and run five miles, I'm ready to die. I don't know if I could make two miles right now, right? So am I really ready to go out and pick up an M16 and go to war? Probably not, right? There's a reason there's boot camp. There's a reason you need to stay in physical condition, why? Because, well, you've got to have your body and your mind prepared for the rigors of combat. You've got to be ready for combat. Well, if that's true in a physical warfare, do you think it's true in a spiritual warfare? Absolutely. Our, ma- our minds and our hearts, we've got to be in a condition to be able to engage in spiritual warfare. We've got to be able to understand God's Word. We've got to understand how to apply God's Word. We've got to understand um, uh, how to pray effectively. If you're in a battle zone and you don't know how to call in ordinances and you're on the radio, you're not going to be very effective. Well, spiritually, if you're in a battle zone and you don't know how to pray specifically, well, guess what? You're not going to be very effective, right? So these are all things. There's a lot of parallels to to what Paul is saying. Christians must be part of God's family, secure in the foundational relationships that they have in the body of Christ and with the Lord Jesus Christ, secure in marriage and family, and submit themselves as God would have them submit as a child, right, in discipleship. And if you desire to make a difference in real uh, ministries, uh, then, then, you're, then that will finally get you where you need to go. And th- then finally, you're ready to face Goliath. You're ready, you're ready to roll. So uh, let's, let's take turning good motivation to, to godly action is important. We need to make sure we turn good motivation to godly action. So we must have pr- uh, practical exercise to prepare for battle. Now, how do you do that? Now, I think we could all think about physical things in regard to that, but spiritually, what are you talking about practically, Brian? Well, let me tell you, so you don't have to guess. Number one is devotion, right? And when I say devotion, I don't just mean a want to. I mean, it's a daily relationship with the Word of God and continual prayer, right? It's not just reading the Bible and then, okay, I'm done. But reading, meditating, praying over what you've learned. Uh, As Pastor Sam Miles says, you read the Bible till it reads you. I totally get that statement. There's times when you're just reading, and you're like, man, I'm not getting nothing. Well, I, I pray. God, I need something. It's amazing. Read that Bible till it reads you. It won't be long, and God will be speaking to your heart. He'll be talking to you about who you are and what he needs you to do and who he saved you to be. It is a dialogue. It's bidirectional. You talk with God in prayer, and he speaks to you through his word, right? You talk to God, he talks to you through the word of God. It's that simple. It doesn't need to be super complicated. That's what we're talking about, just daily devotion. I've seen some, some heavy hitters in the ministry, some incredible men of God go down in, in just a terrible um, defeat, because not because they didn't know the Bible, not because they didn't do great exploits, but because they forgot to do the fundamentals. They forgot to meet with God daily. And over time, that began to affect them, 
and weaken them. And the devil, by the way, the devil is patient. Right? You can fool me forever. I'll never catch on. And uh, you can fool everybody else for a while. But the devil, man, he's patient. He will wait. He will wait until it's time. And then he'll pull the plug. So we need to be vigilant and sober. We have an adversary, the devil. Make sure your devotional life is in order. Secondly, discipleship. Discipleship. Prepare your mind in the Word of God. Right? Paul says, man, you've got to have your mind ready for this in Corinthians. Prepare your mind in the Word of God through discipleship. Discipleship is the act of learning how to pick up and hold the shield of faith. Right? It's the discipline in your mind that you need to have to live what you know. Right? We talked about that last week. It wasn't enough just to dress up as soldiers and go out to battle. Someone actually had to go to war. Someone who had some experience. Right? Where did they start the experience? They started with out in the field with the lion and the bear. They didn't even have the weapons of war. They weren't used to it yet. David wasn't used to the sword and the shield. It wasn't his size. Eventually he would grow into that. But he'd been using what was in his hand to execute on what God was teaching him. He was using what he knew, and God was growing him and developing him. And that's what discipleship does. The disciples weren't ready to just do ministry the first day they met Jesus. It took them three and a half years to grow into that. And even at that, it was a little sketchy uh, at first. But God gave him the Holy Ghost, and once that happened, boom, it was on. And every one of those apostles ended up becoming uh, martyrs, but for John, uh, not for lack of trying, right? And so, um, and so those men were faithful unto death, I might add. They were true, not just disciples, they became sent ones, they became apostles. But they learned, that's what discipleship is, it's discipline, it's learning, and they learned as they walked with Jesus in the school of discipleship how to follow him. The last thing he told Peter is, follow me, follow me, follow me, right? So the good thing is, when you go into battle, you don't have to really lead the charge, Jesus is already there, you just got to find where he's at and get to work, right? Uh, the gospel's being preached in Kansas City at, at Royal Stadium, you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist to know maybe we should be there, right? Let's follow Jesus and see what he's doing. And boom, people get saved. It's amazing. And so you just got to be where God's working and get in on it. Discipleship prepares you to do that. Follow Jesus wherever he leads. And then you got to dive in. Get involved in ministry where you can begin to exercise the knowledge that you have acquired. Right? Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifies. So now we're getting back to the first point, right? The, the caring for casualties. Take that knowledge that you know. It's not about you. And now start investing in others that need help. Right? Find some casualties. Find some, some people that need some help because that's where the real battles are, are fought and start to invest the Word of God in others. And then there comes a dedication to practicing the fundamentals. Worshiping God is, a, is uh, in His Word. Uh, worshiping, I'm sorry, God in His Word and with our life will result uh, from pr- uh, practicing the fundamentals of the faith. Right? Worship will occur. We'll begin to give our life for Him. The first time we find worship in the Bible, of course, we understand that it is something uh, as beautiful as Abraham takes Isaac up to the mount. He's willing to offer his own son in obedience to God. Uh, and, of course, God stops him, and, and that's a great picture of Christ. Worship is found, of course, in, in Jesus Christ obeying the Father, the Father loving the world. And when you get that going on, man, God is, is he's cooking with gas. There's dedication to practicing the fundamentals, to loving God and loving people, you know, making that the first thing. When we're dedicated to that, uh, man, we will hold fast to the faithful word as we've been taught. It means more than reciting memory verses. It means holding up what, when tested, right? When things come and you're tested, and am I going to do the right thing? Am I going to do the wrong thing? What do we do? We choose to do the biblical thing, the right thing, instead of the wrong thing. And you will be tested, You'll be tested in ministry, you'll be tested at school, you'll be tested at work, you'll be tested among your peers, 
You know, you are who God has saved you to be, and you will be tested upon that. And so you do what God has called you to, to do because God has called you to be the person that he saved you to be. So you go through all of that as you get dedicated to practicing the fundamentals. You become better and better and more committed and even becomes like in, in anything you do, whether it's physical combat, athletic events, uh, your job, your particular vocation. The more you're dedicated to doing the fundamentals, you know what happens, right? It becomes what we call second nature, right? And really what God needs is his nature to become our first nature. And so his nature is not always our first nature, is it? But what we do is we practice the fundamentals of loving God, loving people, dedicated to his word, spending time in his word. Before you know it, it, becomes, it just becomes first nature. It becomes his nature working its way through you. You become somebody that you weren't because you're dedicated to practicing the fundamentals and fundamentals, by the way, is not a bad word. A fundamentalist uh, is a bad connotation in our culture. But I got news for you. I am a Bible fundamental. I believe in the fundamentals of the faith. I believe that there is just simple truth that God has given us. And that's basically what discipleship is about, is teaching the fundamentals about who God is, who we are, and what we're to do with that information. It's that simple. That has stopped. That has, that has quenched. Just having those simple facts of the faith fundamentals of the faith, has held off rationalism and some of the craziness of the European um, uh, theater in this country for a hundred years. It's taken, I mean, the stuff that we're experiencing now in this culture, it's a hundred years plus delayed. This is the stuff in the last century Europe was already dealing with. And so what has made the difference? Well, you know what's made the difference. Crazy, crazed fundamentalists like me, right? No, I'm just kidding. Kind of. But the point is, is that fundamental truth, right? There are crazies in fundamentalism, so don't get me wrong. I get it. There's, but if, you know, if they're a jihadist, what do they call them? Islamic fundamentalists. If they're Fred Phelps over here in Topeka protesting people's funerals like an idiot stick, what do they call him? A fundamentalist, right? We don't identify with any of that. But I t- when you want to slur somebody, what do you want to call them? A fundamentalist. But there's nothing wrong with fundamentals, the basics, the building blocks. And we've got to be clear on that. You need to, we have to be dedicated to the basics of what the Bible says. It is not crazy, as I mentioned last week. Some pastors are fleeing from a literal interpretation of the Scripture, from believing the basics of what the Bible says, that the Old Testament was given, right, as it clearly says in the New Testament, so that we can learn about what God has done in the New Testament. It is the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You can't go forward in faith without the very basics of the faith, which is the Bible. But yet some pastors are just taking the Bible and just tossing it, throwing it in the burn pile, and going with some other unbiblical theology that is not going to take anybody anywhere but into perdition. Okay, I preached that last week. Let me move on. We have to be dedicated to the fundamentals of the faith, to to be dedicated to those things. And then we have to have discernment, fifth point. uh, Discover and discern where God is blessing your investment of time, talent, and treasure. David acted on faith in his private, uh, in private, I'm sorry, and eventually it was made public, right? So he had victory privately before he ever went public. David acted on his faith in private, and eventually everyone could see it. This is the very thing that Paul encouraged Timotheus in, uh, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13. He says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given to thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. 
Right? Don't forget your ordination service, Timothy. God has called you to the ministry. And then he says in verse 15, Meditate upon these things and give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Right? Do what you know you need to do. Make it right on the inside so everybody will see what's right on the outside. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, right unto the teaching. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now he's not talking about earning his salvation. Timothy is saved. What he's talking about is preservation. You are going to be salt and you are going to be light, Timothy. Continue in those things that you've learned, knowing of whom you've learned them. Because I'm going to use, God will, not I'm, not, not Paul, but the Holy Ghost will use that. The Spirit of God will use that to make you salt and light. Point six, be deployable. You got all these five things going, and then it's time to get deployed. If you do these things, you'll find yourself prepared to face giants because you understand the cause, and you're prepared to do something about it. David didn't have to get ready. He was ready. So yesterday, we're down at the K, and and uh, Cody Walker, prayer team, invites him to come down. I didn't know Cody was going to be there. Cody's out there in the parking lot, and I'm in the parking lot. I'm like, hey, Cody, I don't know if I can do this for you, but, I mean, would you want to work the altar today? And he's like, sure. Well, guess what? Cody didn't have to go and start studying. What is Romans Road? You know, how do I lead someone to Christ? And I knew that one before I asked him, right? He's already prepared. He's already ready. To, he's already deployable. All I got to do is say, hey, you ready to get in the game? He's standing there ready. I remember when I was a, fre- uh, a sophomore in high school, I got, I, I, got, I got to dress as varsity, but I didn't get to play as much as I wanted to. And so I'd always stand on the sideline my sophomore year. I was just, what was I ready? I was just letting the coaches know, I want to get in. I want to get in. I was deployable. Whether they thought so or not, it's another, another discussion. But I wanted to get in. I wanted to be deployable. You got to be ready. If I wasn't ready, if I was nonchalant, if I didn't have my... My head gear, my mouthpiece, if I wasn't in shape, if I wasn't participating in practice, I wouldn't have even been in a position to be deployable. So guess what? So yesterday, we get up there, and I'm like, hey, there's a missionary in town, and uh, I, he didn't have an opportunity to go through the, you know, the training and all of that, but I'll vouch for him. Would you? He's like, sure, man, let's get him in the game. So I got him the little lanyard and got him the little the materials that they use, and next thing you know, Cody, Cody's up there. He leads a guy to Christ from, uh, from Africa. He doesn't even live in Kansas City. He's traveling through KC. He's at the game. He's going back to Indiana. He's in the, in the state studying. Cody is from Argentina. You know, what you have here is a prepared sinner and a prepared saint. And God just brought them together. Why? Because Cody is deployable. He was already fit for the battle. And God just put him in the game. And man, God brought a divine appointment together. And that, that young man got saved. Now, he's about six foot something. He's a tall guy. Uh, but uh, the, uh, Cody led him to Christ and and praise God for that. Why? Well, because he's deployable. He didn't have to get ready. He was ready. He was disposed for deployment. When God is looking for a tool to, to do a job, uh, you want him to be able to reach in the toolbox of the body of Christ and pull out and engage you because he knows you will be faithful to the word of God. You, have you ever noticed how that goes when you're, you're looking for a tool for a job? I mean, if you have a favorite drill, even a little hacksaw or whatever, I got like little tools, vice grips. There's certain tools that I just like. Like if I get a chance to use my vice grips, who needs a, you know, who needs a wrench, right? <laughs> Bang. And, uh, and I mean, there's just certain tools that you, what do you do? You go back to tools that are useful. Tools that you know will do the job that you need to do. And you'll go and you'll get those tools. And so 
there are certain tools that I can depend upon. There are certain tools that God can use to accomplish the mission. David was a tool that God could count on to accomplish his mission. Joseph and Daniel and Joshua and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Nehemiah, Ezra. We can just go down the list in the Old Testament. We get a lot more names in the New Testament. There are several people, including ladies, right? Aquila was part of that. And Priscilla, or Aquila and Priscilla. We got uh, Timothy's mom and grandma. There are certain tools that... that uh, there's Phoebe. There's all these tools that God highlights throughout the Bible. These were people that God could reach in his toolbox and deploy in his mission. And I could go on and on with the names of the Bible, but those are there to encourage us and to, rem- and to help us remember that when the adversary resists, <clears throat> they, these people simply will not let go of the sword. They got that grip, that tight grip on the sword. And that leads me to that, that example from the Philistines. Remember that guy in Israel? I think his name, Eleazar, the Ahohite, who along with two, uh, two others defended Israel from the Philistines until the sword became one with his hand. That was a person that was, man, that was a man that was ready for battle. He was deployed and he had that, that grip on the word of God. He wouldn't let it go. Be, de- be, uh, be ready to be deployed. Be a soldier God can use and delight, number seven, in the Lord. Be de- delight in the Lord. Man, we're not in a funeral service. We're the victors. You don't, you don't see people win a battle and just go away, oh man, that was a great win. And they're excited. Why? Well, because man, we've got the victory. Be de- delight in the Lord. Be delighted and be delightful. Full of delight. We, we become addicted to the things that delight us, don't we? We typically think of addiction as delighting our flesh with adrenaline and dopamine of all kinds of varieties, right? Or there are varieties, but are, we, it's all about addiction, getting our flesh addicted to something. Well, spiritually... We need to look at it differently. We need to understand that, that in the case of delighting ourselves in the Lord, we delight our soul in the words of God, making and seeing and serving. Uh, uh, we make, I'm sorry, make, we, we end up making uh, the ministry a delight, or God makes it a delight for us as, as we end up following Him and walking in the Spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. It lights us up. It encourages us. It, it, it brings life and light out of our lives. In Psalm chapter 1, the Bible says, Blessed be the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor, sta- uh, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whithersoever, whatsoever I'm sorry, he doeth shall prosper. Man, when you're plugged in, to Christ, and you're delighting yourself in the law of the Lord, and I know many of you do, it becomes self-evident. You become a fruitful plant, man. You become somebody who, who becomes full of life and light. Psalms 37, 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And God can trust your heart when, he, when you're delighting in the Lord. If we're delighting in our flesh, he can't trust that. He's gotta, we need to delight in the Lord. Psalm 40, and verse 8 says, I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, the law is within my heart. Why did God use David in, in, uh, in 1 Samuel 17? Because there was a man that was willing to delight himself in the law of the Lord. And that was according to God's will. David was the, was the one that actually believed that God did not intend for Goliath to be getting victory on God's property at that time. He was not going to stand for that. That was not God's will. So he went to action. And he faced opposition. Goliath didn't just turn tail and run. He, he was going to kill David. But David says, no, that's not how it's going down. Romans 7.22, the word delight is found in the New Testament. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Right? Your flesh isn't going to delight after the law. 
But you know what your inward man does? Some of y'all, your, th- your souls are thirsty, right? And, and you're, you're, it's, it's summer, and you've got to have a drink of water. It's been hot, 100 degrees some days, right? When it gets hot, you need to stay hydrated. Well, guess what? The battle's getting hot, and you know what you need? You need to stay hydrated. You need to get the, get the Word of God in you. And, you, and if you don't, you're going to get dehydrated. You're not going to be useful. Once you get dehydrated, your muscles cramp up, you get headaches, you can't function properly, your, your, your thinking gets cloudy. And that's exactly what happens spiritually. The reason that we take one time at least a week and we make the Word of God the priority is because we all understand our souls are thirsty for God's Word, thirsty for God's truth, thirsty, thirsty for a meeting with God. It's what fills us up. It's what keeps us going. It's so important. But by God's grace, we can even meet more than once a week, right? And we continue to keep ourselves in the Word of God devotionally, right? Privately, we just carry it forward throughout the week so that we can accomplish what God wants. So the old saying goes, God doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called. That's accurate. God is calling us to trust in His provision instead of our own. Be strong in the power of His might. Now point four, maintain vigilance. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 and Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 make this clear. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You may not be wanting to maintain vigilance for your own uh, cause, but you should for the sake of others. When you're not vigilant, it affects other people. Whom resist, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Understand that you're not the only one going through it. Ephesians 5.15 says, see, that you, uh, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Have your head on a swivel. Wherefore, be not wise, unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You want to be wise? How do you spiritually walk circumspectly? like having your head on a swivel. Will you know what the will of the Lord is? What is God's will? What does God's word say? And then do we do that? Vigilance is also called battle readiness. We must maintain battle readiness. You notice that the devil is walking about like a roaring lion, and we walk about circumspectly. Just as in the account of David and Goliath, Satan thinks that he is in a position to stalk his prey. But in reality, when we walk circumspectly, knowing what the will of the Lord is, and come to a standoff, the, predator, the, the pretending predator becomes the prey of the man who stands upon God's word. So about the time the enemy thinks he's stalked you down and got you where he wants you, that's when God's going to take that and overturn it. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. If you've ever been in a wrestling match, it's all about engaging somebody else, strength to strength. And at the end of the day, one person's going to win because they understand how to overturn the other, right? And even if the other opponent's stronger, it's all about balance, right? Someone gets too greedy, someone gets too anxious, someone gets too reserved, boom, it's over. You got a hold of them. And so it's, it's all, it's knowing how to be circumspect, how to walk in the will of the Lord. And even when you look like you're being encircled and it looks like you're about to lose, it's like Elijah in the Old Testament brings his servant out, says, son, look again. We're not surrounded. The enemy's surrounded by the angels, man. Check it out now. Whose team are you on? You're on God's side. Make sure that you don't forget whose team you're on. In our society, there's been, there's, there's a kind of a been there, done that mentality in our culture today. And that is not what a soldier in Christ needs to be about. That will not keep you ready, right? It's not like an experience you're looking for. Oh, I've already been through discipleship. I've already memorized those verses. I already know that truth. Now, I, I know what it's like. I've been there. Once you go to a church like ours, once you learn some Bible, you start to feel a little superior, right? Because knowledge puffs up. 
You're like, I already know that. Come on, pastor, say something new. I mean, I've been through Ephesians 6 a billion times in my life. I already know that stuff. Guess what? I'm not going to go anywhere new because you need to understand this is about being vigilant because you've got a real adversary. Just because it's fundamentals doesn't mean you should forsake it and look for something new. Oh, I bought that T-shirt. Give me some other new thing. That's dangerous. Get back to the basics. Stay there. Now, there's nothing wrong, obviously, with learning more and more about God's will and having more understanding of the Word of God. I'm not saying we should be stupid. As a matter of fact, the more you do, the more circumspect you are, and that's all good. But don't forsake the fundamentals. It's important. Paul rebuked the Corinthians and the Hebrews because he wrote to them about sustaining what I call spiritual readiness. In Hebrews 5.12, he says, for when, uh, for when the time is you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which are be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become as such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belonging to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Right? There was the Corinthians and the Hebrews both got to a place where they regressed. People that should have known better didn't know better. And they went back to Paul saying, look, you've got to go back to the first things because you, you guys just don't, you're, you're not getting it. If you can't do the basics, then don't try to do anything more advanced. One of the ways that you will know if you've lost the battle, re- battle readiness, is you will begin to act like a baby. If you're like, well, man, I, am I ready for battle or not? Well, I can give you a test. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, hey, I've invested in you guys. Uh, you should know more, but you don't. And this is how I know you're not ready for battle. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed, fed you with milk and not with meat, For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, uh, but God gave the increase." Now, this is important because it's not, just, uh, it's not just an issue of, well, there's dysfunction in the Corinthian church and, you know, they're not doing so good and there's sin and all that. This, the bottom line is the advancement of the gospel in Europe was, was depending on people who needed to grow up, who needed to get out of their flesh, who, need, who thought they, the battle was with one another and they were totally missing the point. Now, right now at Heartland, I'm encouraged there's a lot of unity in the body, but there have been times in our life where we have been poised to do incredible things and you know what it's not the battle from without that's that's hindered heartland it's been the battle from within and not because uh it's not just it's, i mean i can't even identify it sometimes it's just the spiritual state of the flock sometimes people get in their flesh and they're not taking the, they're not they're, the messages are going out but they're not really hearing they're not really listening they're not really understanding that there is a real battle at stake and it affects people's souls and your part every individual part of the body Everybody has a part in it. And our obedience to God, our love for Him, and our love for others are, is huge in going forward and advancing the mission. And when we don't do that, it affects everybody. And so by God's grace, uh, He'll sustain His church. But Paul says, listen, y'all, it is not about men. We're following God here. You need to grow up and be battle ready. And so he tried to take them there so they could get there. So if you already know all the fundamentals, but you find yourself growing jealous and cantankerous with the body of Christ. Well, 
you may be forsaking the operation of the fundamentals in your life. Have you been loving and serving God as God's called you? Go back to the basics and get your heart right. Point B, put on the armor of God, Ephesians 6, 11. Turn there in your Bibles. This is simple, and I am not going to tarry on this. You guys know these things, so I'm just going to touch on them. Uh, this is review. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but, uh, uh, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So point B, put on the armor of God. Number one, be prepared to stand. There is no retreat, only, uh, only standing on the foundation of Christ. If we do not stand, the enemy will take the property that belongs to God, purchased with the blood of his son. We cannot allow that. Point two, prepare your mind. Right, verses 12 through 14. Verse 13 goes on to say, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And so know that, uh, that, that, you, are not, not, that you are wrestling, right? Not a person, not a brother in Christ. The powers of hell are close enough to grapple with you. Do you know what that wrestling entails? It's not shooting from a distance. It's not even fixing your bayonet. It is face-to-face combat for control. And you better know the enemy is near. He's aiming for your flesh, and he wants to control the Christian soldier by controlling his or her flesh. That is what the enemy desires. Another area Satan likes to attack, if he can get close to you, is your emotion. Satan and his demons are smart. And just as you are not to get in a Satan's kill zone by giving him place, so too we must... Not giving place. Ephesians 4.26 says in the previous chapters, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. We're commanded not to give him space. Don't give him anything. So we have to take that in mind. Take on the whole armor of God. Don't think. Take. Right? You don't think about the whole armor of God. Take unto you the whole armor of God. And some people get kind of cantankerous about, Oh, you know, I'm not. They, get, they play word games. I don't care how you approach it. Bottom line is know the armor of God and exercise yourself in being filled with the word of God from head to toe, like a holy priest, right? They had the garments covered from head to toe in the blood, were completely sanctified and set apart, put on the whole armor of God, withstand and stand in the evil day. It's a decision that we make. Every one of the the pieces of armor listed in Ephesians 6 can be connected to the mind. So there is a huge part of this that happens in the mind. Start having the loins, the strongest part of your body, gird about with truth. Right? The loins are used because your minds are like the loins. That's where reproduction happens. That's where the strength is. If you ever play football, right, you watch the hips, and uh, that's where you're going to tackle them. That's where everything generates from. And so, uh, man, I tell you what, you've got to have the loins of your mind gird up with the Word of God. First Peter 1.13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought to you uh, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So put on the pieces. Ephesians six fourteen through seventeen goes on to talk about that. It says, and I've already covered verse fourteen or verse uh, yeah fourteen. Uh, we'll start in verse fourteen again. There, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so the loins of the mind are girt about with truth. The breastplate of righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. The feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, above all else, taking the shield of faith that quenches all, not some, but all the fiery darts of the wicked. And then we have that helmet of salvation. Make sure you know that you're saved, or the devil will mess with your mind and you will never be ready for the battle. 
That's why the first two lessons we deal with in discipleship one are what? Salvation, eternal life, eternal security. Those fundamentals are crucial for you to stand in a battle. You take those out, we have complete movements in the United States of people who are completely completely beguiled about what the Bible teaches on the security that you have in Christ when you get saved. Those folks are going to be, the devil's going to have a heyday with them, unfortunately. I don't say that because I'm happy. I say that because I'm sad. And they need to know more about what the Bible says about their salvation. And take the sword of the Spirit, of course, which is the Word of God. That's so important. I've been talking about this whole time, so I'm not going to tarry there. You guys know the importance of the Word of God. So point C. And once you've done all that, right, you're not just dressed, you're dressed for the battle, you're ready to go out. Now what do we do? What do you think? Well, pray. We pray. Ephesians 6, 18. You remember David? Uh, he's over there. God, should I go or should I stay? Wait, till you, wait until you feel the movement or you see the movement in the mulberry trees, David, then you go. David didn't just rush into battle. This is long after, this is long after he was, uh, had mighty exploits, right? He never got just so comfortable, like, like, I've been there, done that. Let me just take this on. You know what he stopped to do? Hey, Lord, do you want me to engage here or not? How do you want me to go into battle? Always pray. Always pray. Don't forsake praying. Don't just assume. You may know God's will, and you may need to do God's will. You may be ready for deployment, and the answer to prayer be, may, may be, go, get in, son, get after it. But at the end of the day, you need to be prayerful. Pray. Prayer is the communication required for successful battle. Prayer is the communication required for successful battle. It doesn't matter if the trumpet's being blown on the battlefield directing the troops. A messenger <clears throat> uh, uh, sent to direct the artillery or the radio man with the GPS ordering ordnance on the fixed coordinate. Uh, constant communication is critical when we need reinforcements. And beloved, I don't know about you, but I always, when I'm engaged in ministry, I always feel like I need reinforcements. Y'all just roll up and say, man, I just feel so equipped to handle any problem that everybody has. Just come to me because I know everything. Man, if that's who you are, you have, you're in trouble before you start. I can't tell you how often I'm like, Lord, help. I don't know, but I know your word knows. Let me apply your principles because that's all I got. What, how does that happen? You pray and God answers. You pray, God answers. You pray, God answers. You know the word of God. God brings things to your remembrance so you can help others that are in a need. So you can help for the battle. That's why God has us here. We are, we are to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Prayer keeps the supply lines open. We may not be engaged in the, heart or the heat of the battle in a particular moment, but you, you may be a sober soldier, Christian minister, who can draw supplies from heaven and focus them on an area of need. Don't forsake praying. You see a need, maybe you can't get to that need, but God's made you aware of it. Why? So you can Pray. That's why we have prayer teams. Today, after church, we will be praying for a battlefield called Romania. And so God has given us information, and we're to go about praying there. If we can't get there this year, well, we're praying for those that are there. This is why we have the missionary uh, board, and, and uh, that's why we have an emphasis on the fifth Sunday on missions, and you hear about missions all the time. You may not be in India or Europe or Dominican or South America or Mexico or Africa, but you better be praying for those who are, right? Because we're critical to that mission success, just as uh, susceptible to the enemies, they are susceptible to the enemy's attack. So taking prayer seriously is part of the battle. And then praying without ceasing, First Thessalonians 5, 17, you know that verse, pray without ceasing, it's that simple. If praying was easy, then it wouldn't be so hard. And it isn't that easy, just try it, right? It's as easy as talking to God, but when you get serious about praying, 
Take somebody, take your family. Pray for them every day. And some of you do pray for them every day. You know that's not easy. You got to take time. You got to know what's going on. You got to pray. Pray for the people in your ministry. Pray for the people in this church. Just do it. You see how hard it is. Praying is one of the most difficult things a Christian minister will endeavor to undertake. And, and, uh, and, and so I don't call prayer meetings uh, because I need them. I call prayer meetings because I need them. There's a reason I, I meet on Sunday night because it helps me pray. Taking that whole prayer list and dividing it up among the body and praying over them, that, that encourages my heart. I, I need prayer meetings. You need prayer meetings. There are times we just need to hold one another's hands up in prayer because praying is hard. All right, so I'm out of time, but i still got one more point. So what are we going to do? We're going to finish the point. So let me do this, because this point's really simple. It really is. It's not going to take long. All right, that's a lot of information, but let me just finish it up on this third point. So the last thing that we got to do is, is <clears throat> we know that we need to care for casualties, prepare for adversity, spend a lot of time about that, being good soldiers. But don't miss this last thing as we're wrapping up. Share your victory. Share your victory. Man, we are on the winning team. Romans 8.37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. If you have your Bible, you should turn over there. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Our focus may be on the casualties of this war between principalities and powers, but our faith stands in the Lord Jesus Christ who has made us more than conquerors. Man, we are more than conquerors. That's what the Bible says. So point A, the real battle is won. That drives us into battle with assurance that God has already defeated the enemies. Hallelujah to you. 1 Corinthians 15.55 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is the victory? The sting of death is sin, and the, strength of the, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're born again this morning, you are a victor. You are a victor. You may not feel like a victor. You may not act like a victor, but you are a victor. Christ has openly defeated the principalities we wrestle they are already defeated foes. Colossians 22, there is no Colossians 22. Colossians 2.13 says this, And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened. That means brought to life together with him, having forgiven you how many trespasses? All trespasses. Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Beloved, you're a victor. Point B, the real battle is located where you are. You don't have to go some far place to find it. It'll find you. God saved you, and he left you here to proclaim to everyone that you're free. I loved it yesterday. Some people got saved, and they're like, hey, go tell somebody. Go tell somebody. Go share. That's exactly what we should do. When we get saved and we receive the good news, we should want to share it. We should be happy to share that with others. You, have hope in the, in the, you can have hope in the most crazy and worst circumstances when you're saved. You have peace in the midst of a storm. There's so many accounts of that, both in history and in people that we even know. It's incredible. Pastor Rajan has a friend. I was checking on him. I'm like, hey, how's brother so-and-so doing? He got arrested. Uh, I mean, he, he had a situation where he had game on his motorcycle. He didn't know it was an illegal bird or whatever that he had gotten. And uh, they arrested him, put him in prison for five years in Nepal. Well, you know what? What did he do? Well, he sulked and he cried. No, he ended up starting... A ministry there, and everyone in the jail got saved. So now the ministry is expanding. I know, it's incredible. He's out now, and, uh, and he's been out for a couple years, and he's gone on with the ministry. He's a pastor of a church. I'm like, man, that's an incredible victory in the midst of difficult circumstances. So Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, 
For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants. For Jesus' sake, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not uh, destroyed. Always bearing about uh, in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Paul says the, the closer I get to death, the more life comes from it. Everywhere we go, people should be asking us of the hope that lies within us. So in conclusion, and we are done, we will not win real battles if we lose sight that Jesus is our champion. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 that we talked about last week, you remember in that text, David, he prevailed against the Philistines. You know the story. He slung the stone. Goliath went down. David chops his head off, and all of that goes on. And in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 52, the Bible says, And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of Sherem, even unto Gath, even unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. You know what happened after the victory was won? And I, I told you this last week. The hero of the story, who is it? See how well you remember. Who is it? David? Who said David? Okay, he is in the historical sense. But who is the hero of the story in our, in, our, in our sense. Jesus, David's a type of Christ. So we read that story and everybody wants to be David, but the truth of the matter is most of us are just soldiers dressed for battle. And what really engages us in the battle is not our victories, it's his victory. And that's why it's so important to celebrate his victory. It's so important to realize what he's secured for us because it's once you realize that the enemy has been defeated, you have the courage to come up out of the trench and go after him. And they did their part. And they ended up routing him. David couldn't do that on his own, by the way. That's what God has called us to be a part of. He's called us to be a part of his victory. He's done the, the deal. He has taken care of sin and death. Right? It is, it is conquered. Now it's our job to bring the life of Christ to everybody we know. It is our job to make disciples and go around the world literally to reach our community and every community we can with the gospel until Jesus comes for us. That is the victory. And beloved, we're there. We just got to get after it, and we got to get engaged, believing that Jesus Christ has won the victory. And I know that's why we celebrate the baptisms. Those that got saved today, they're celebrating. They're not saved today. Those that got baptized today have already been saved, but they're celebrating the victory that they have in Christ. That someday when we die, Jesus will rise us up out of the grave literally, so it doesn't matter. I remember I was preaching at the mission one day among some pretty surly fellows. And I got all animated in the Word of God, and I was all fired up, and I was serious as a heart attack. It was one of the first times I've really meant it, I mean, like this. I mean, I told those guys, I said, you can kill me right here. And I get right, I'll, I'll be right back up and as soon as the Lord calls in the air, the trumpet blows. I'll be right back up, and I'm coming back. And some of those guys had the means to kill me. And so I knew when I said that, I wasn't just kidding. It was a kind of a growth, sport, uh, growth spot for me in my heart because I realized, you know what, Lord? Even if it took my life, I'm, at this moment, at that moment, I was, I meant it. I wanted those guys saved so bad 
I just want to, even if you took my life. Why? Because as I was preaching, I was just filled with the Spirit, and I just understood that there is nothing that can stop the victory that we have in Christ. I mean, would to God we're so filled with the Spirit. Now, I, w- I wish I was like that 24-7. I'm not always like that. I'm just like the rest of y'all, right? I'm just a preacher. I'm just, I'm just a guy in the trench just like you. But my job here today is to remind you who the victor is, and that is Christ. And if you count yourself a real servant of God, a real minister, someone who really wants to please God, you'll seize that victory that he has provided, and you will go into battle. You will do what it takes to prepare yourself as a disciple. You'll do what it takes to be ready. So when God calls you to be deployed, you're ready to go. And that's what Heartland's about. That doesn't happen just because you got saved. Elizabeth is a sweetheart, but she, I don't want to put her in the front of battle today. She's still got to grow a little bit, right? This church is all, I'll make all kinds of room. As a matter of fact, sometimes you might get frustrated. You think, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. We're like, well, just hold on a little bit. Hold on a little bit. Why? Because we still think you might need some development in some areas. You might need to have a little bit more God's will in your mind. So when you do get in that real wrestling match, you're ready for it. We, we don't want to send babies into combat. We want to send men. We want to send people that are mature in the Word of God. And that's why we have a process here at HBF. When we talk about discipleship, it's not just discipleship one. It's not just discipleship two, though those are great things. And that may be all you need for the rest of your spiritual life. But some of you need to do HBI. And you need everything that we can give you because we, as the pastors of this church, know that after we have given you everything that we have to give you, you're still going to face battles with the adversary where you're going to say, oh, God, help, I need more. And that's because you've got to depend on the Spirit to win this battle, beloved. It isn't always easy. You're going to face resistance. Spiritual persistence does bring satanic resistance. And we've got to have faith in what God has told us if we're going to prevail. And we have prevailed. Amen? Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather today. We thank you for the victory that is in Christ.